Yates on Sunday on News Talk. Brought to you by SSE Electricity Business Energy. Proud to power businesses all over Ireland. Energy at work for you. It's a great pleasure to welcome uh, into our Cork uh, studio at Opera House on Yates on Sunday. My profile guest this morning is the leader of Fianna Fáil, the leader of the opposition, uh, Micheál Martin. He has been Minister for Education, Health, Enterprise and Foreign Affairs and this year celebrates 30 years as a Cork South Central TD. Uh, Good afternoon, Micheál, and thank you for joining us. Good afternoon, Ivan. Let's start with the one-year anniversary of New Politics, uh, this minority government. Is it the worst government ever? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, it's a good question. I mean, that's a, I would have thought the last government with the, the largest majority in the history of state uh, didn't exactly make uh, you know, uh, great decisions in terms of housing, health and, and, and got a lot wrong in, those, in that respect. I think the current government um, lacks direction, certainly, I'd acknowledge that. It lacks any sort of strategic sense of where the country is going. And then it also lacks urgency in terms of dealing with the critical uh, crisis issues facing Irish society today, in particular the housing crisis and the the, the health crisis. The, The issue of homelessness, the inability of people to get access to social housing, to get on the private rental market, to be in a position to buy a house, uh, is getting worse, not getting better. Uh, and um, likewise, in terms of health, the waiting lists are going through the roof, both outpatient and inpatient. And there seems to be a lack of urgency in implementing, in executing and in delivering uh, some of the mechanisms that could help to alleviate uh, the, the crisis in both of those areas. Uh, but, and I think, okay, I think well, given part that critique, of the problem, Ivan, is I think yeah. part of the problem is that it seems to me that since the election, there has been internal angst within the Fine Gael party around the leadership issue. There was a lot of um, bad blood as a result of the loss of seats that Fine Gael endured on that particular occasion. Uh, and to a certain extent, that has undermined uh, quite a significant degree of Sinn Féin's folk, or sorry, of Fine Gael's focus on government. Uh, specifically then, uh, if it's doing so poorly, you'll hardly keep it there till late 2018, will you? Well, we're very anxious to honour the commitments we made in the Confidence and Supply Agreement. We said we would facilitate three budgets. We didn't want instability in the country. We tried, we tried to, to be elected into government. We didn't get the support of smaller parties. We didn't get the support of independents. So we felt we had a responsibility to the country to facilitate the formation of a government. I remember the 81-82 period, you, you do too, when we had three elections in 18 months, and that, that did nothing. Uh, for the country in terms of, of, of policy uh, uh, and in terms of dealing with the crisis. And, and, but but when, you look time, at, so when you look at the do-nothing nature of the doll, the poor legislative uh, programme being enacted, uh, indecision on issues like the National Maternity Hospital and specifically the issue of the Guard Commissioner, surely it is a government that is incapable of making decisions and to drag it out to late 2018 is not in the national interest. Well, obviously, we will be in the next year, we'll be focusing on the government's performance, clearly. Uh, but we are, because at the formation of this government, many people said, oh, Fianna Fáil will cynically pull the plug when it suits them. That has not been our approach. We, we do believe uh, that in, in the aftermath of a general election, there's a responsibility in every single TD to be constructive and to engage in, in, in facilitating the formation of a government. That is what we have been doing. Um, and 
you know, the fact that uh, certain ministers uh, haven't been delivering uh, is a problem. I acknowledge that. Um, but I think the, 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 we, 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 we've made these points. Uh, on the broader front, I think there was a very significant challenge facing the country Brexit. I think it was very important uh, that the government had space and room uh, to prepare for that uh, and, and to, in, to negotiate in, in, in relation to that. Okay, and we will come uh, on to with, Brexit. With, with, with so, opposition so, so input. But, but the, in, terms of the over, in terms of the government issue, um, it's, it's one year now since the government was formed. We have, we have concerns, obviously, about the failure to really impact on the various crises that, that, that are enveloping the country, particularly on the social side and housing and health and others. Um, and obviously the government will have to step up its performance. OK, well, let's take the very specific and current issue. Your justice spokesman, Jim O'Callaghan, has said that he doesn't have confidence uh, uh, in the Guard Commissioner, Noreen O'Sullivan, and that she should resign. Uh, first of all, h- how do you propose to propagate that insofar as what do you think the government and the Dáil should do about the Garda Commissioner, given that you've no confidence in her? Well, it's two, there's two strands to this. First of all, it's the government's um, responsibility to deal with the issue through the legislative framework that's been established. In other words, the law says the government may remove a Garda Commissioner uh, and, and, and appoints a Garda Commissioner. But in addition to that, we've had the reform of the policing authority, the establishment of the uh, policing authority. That has certain responsibilities and roles in this regard as well. One of the reasons why the policing authority was established was to take politics out of policing in this country and to depoliticize, if you like, the administration and management of Angarda Shikona. Uh, I'm very conscious of that, uh, and, and I think I would like to give that new dimension to, to, to this debate uh, room uh, to, to, to deal with this. In other words, I do not believe that it's a matter for Doyle Earden to assume an executive function in this regard and to become the body or forum that decides uh, whether a Garda commissioner should stay, whether the director of the HSE should stay, whether the DPP should stay. You're facing in two ways at the same time. You're saying on one hand, she's not fit for office and she should go and your spokesman said that. And you and I know that if a majority of the Dáil voted no confidence in her, she'd be gone by that evening. But I think that's an appalling precedent, to be frank. I, I do not believe the Dáil can become the executive in this regard, uh, in, not just in terms of the Garda Commission, although that's a particularly sensitive position and, and for even greater reason is, uh, as to why the Dáil should not be uh, the, the, the body that decides uh, on, on the removal of, of Garda Shikana. I mean, there is no way, for example, that I would support a Sinn Féin motion calling for the removal of any Garda Commissioner, given Sinn Féin's uh, relationship with Angarda Shikana, to put it mildly, the degree to which, you know, the Persian IRA murdered Angarda Shikana uh, made life extremely difficult for many Gardaí for many, many years. I could not bring myself uh, to join with Sinn Féin in removing any Garda commissioner. Uh, I think Sinn Féin should act with greater humility in that regard, at, at, at a minimum. Uh, but you don't have confidence in her. Down through the years. We've you've, articulated you that. You've called for a resignation. Well, we, are entitled, we are entitled to do that in a political democracy, in a parliamentary democracy. But equally, we understand the demarcation line. We understand that, 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 that the precedent that would be created uh, where motions in the Doyle could essentially uh, render a position of any public servant, um, particularly a Garda a commissioner, uh, essentially sacking a Garda commissioner, I think is a bridge too far. It's not in, in terms of, of the legislative provision. The law was 
was, was, was brought into being in a very specific way so that there wouldn't be the politicisation of a Garda commissioner. Well, sorry, do you, think, do you think like, the, the commissioner herself you, should resign? Do you think she should I, resign? My, my own view is we need a complete, I think, a complete change uh, at, at the top in relation to Angarda Shikana. Uh, we, we're not in a position to articulate confidence in the Garda Commissioner because of the, the breath test um, debacle and also the fixed uh, penalty, penalty charge debacle as well. Uh, we believe, but it's more than just the Commissioner, I have to say as well, and that is why in the Doyle motion we put forward the idea uh, that there has to be a, a commission established to fundamentally uh, change how Angarda Shikana operates. A bit like what happened in the transformation of the RUC into the PSNI in Northern Ireland, the Patent Commission, which looked at a whole range of issues from recruitment, from operation, from, from continued professional development, standards, uh, resourcing as well. Uh, that has to happen in the Republic. That's the most effective way to reform and change okay, what is so, happening but you with don't accept, I want to move on, but you, you don't accept the point. The reason why you're not prepared to not vote confidence or to vote out uh, the Commissioner is then the Minister of a justice position would be untenable and you'd collapse the government to be a general election. That's your real reason. No, it's not. It's not, actually. The, the real reason is uh, the one I have articulated. I think there is a line to be drawn on this. I think there's a limit and there's a precedent that's important because the, the composition of the Doyle could change. And if we set this precedent, as in the Doyle essentially sacking a Garda commissioner, the next Doyle, if it didn't like the the actions or policies or whatever of a particular Garda commissioner uh, could be tabling motions and, uh, and voting in a, uh, no confidence in future Garda commissioners. Okay. I, I don't believe the Doyle is not an executive body in, in terms of how our government, the arms of government are, are, are made up. But to be clear, you are uh, calling on Francis Fitzgerald to sack her. Uh, we, we believe that the, that, that the Commissioner, in our view, it's in the interest of Angola Shekona in, into, into the future that the, the Garda Commissioner should consider her position. We do not have conf- confidence in her position, uh, given all that has happened. And, and the Minister for Justice on. should do that. And I think, the poli- well, I think the policing authority also has a role in this, and, in our mo- and I think we should allow some space, because there is some work underway. There is some, uh, obviously, the, the policing authority is working in terms of identifying what happened in all of these uh, issues, and, not, and the, most, the latest being the Temple Moor, uh, issue. And I think the policing authority has been established. The Doyle established the policing authority ostensibly to take politics out of policing. So let's give okay. that an opportunity. Let's, let's move on to the. You said, spoke about the uncertainty caused by the Fine Gael leadership. Two specific questions. Do you think Enda should get on with it and go soonest? Uh, or do you think he should stay on? Uh, and secondly, will you vote for the newly elected Fine Gael leader as Taoiseach? Yeah, we, we've made it clear that we will facilitate um, the, the, a Fine Gael-led minority government. And we factored in at the time that there would be a change in the Fine Gael leadership. And Kenny had made it clear that he would not be contesting the next general election. Um, so we've always factored in the prospect of a change of leadership within Fine Gael. Our agreement is focused on policies and principles as contained in the Confidence and Supply Agreement, uh, principally about greater investment in, in public services uh, and making them more efficient and effective, particularly in health and in housing and education. Um, but do you think Enda should get on with it? Because it is dragging out. I, oh, it is dragging out. It's been dragging out for far too long. And there has been a degree of inertia. I, I've read, for example, where, where Simon Coveney is travelling the country. Now, you can't do that. And you know yourself, you've been in politics in the previous era. You can't be running for a leadership election um, and at the same time 
over a prolonged period and at the same time manage a department and take decisions. And I think decisions are being postponed uh, because of the vacuum, because of the fact that this has been dragging on. But do, on do you think Ender should so go it does need next resolution. week? Yeah, it needs resolution. Uh, and I think he needs to make very clear he needs to set a, 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 a date. At this Would you set a date? Um, no. The internal leadership issue fundamentally is one for the uh, Fine Gael Party. Okay, and assume uh, being a loyal Corkman, you'd be supporting to, Simon Coveney. We have never sought to become embroiled in the leadership campaign uh, of another party, and in, indeed, as a loyal Corkman, that still holds uh, Simon. Or, uh, so you, so you, you, you'd love to see Simon <laughs> in, in the top to Simon or Leo. Uh, you know, <laughs> Do you have any preference? Uh, actually, I, uh, in terms of in, in terms of how it would play out for Fianna Fáil, is it, or in terms of just, uh, just yourself, preferences? Yourself? No, I mean, is I, there I any man you rate over the other? Oh, well, I'm not going to get into that. I said, you know, I'm, I'm the leader of the Fianna Fáil party. I'm going to leave it to the membership of the Fine Gael party to decide who they want to elect. Uh, because so you think course, they're both fantastic anything, candidates? Anything, anything I say, Ivan, <laughs> could damage one candidate uh, uh, as opposed to the other. All right. uh, I don't think the uh, endorsement of the Fianna Fáil leader of a particular candidate in Fine Gael would go down well with some mem- grassroots members of Fine Gael. OK. The next election. Um, you, you have 44 TDs. Um, Two questions. One, uh, are you working in areas like Dunleary, uh, where you got no seat and you actually threw away a seat in places like Offaly, whereby you didn't manage your vote? A number of your front benchers haven't got a second person in. I'm thinking of Clare. I'm thinking of Galway West and so on. Um, how prepared are you for an election? Uh, it's it's work in progress. Uh, you're, you're correct. We we didn't uh, we got some uh, we got a lot right in the last general election, but there were areas where we got things wrong, uh, and one has to learn lessons uh, from those mistakes um, in terms of the preparation for for a future general election. Um, so we're working on that on a continuous basis. Uh, one is never ultimately. Um, you know, prepared for for a snap election or if an, an election happened in, in an unplanned way. But nonetheless, um, we, we, we do have work to do and we are working on those particular constituencies. I think what has changed since the general election, Ivan, is there, there's a greater degree of confidence and there, there are more people coming forward uh, who are showing interest in standing for election and particularly in those constituencies. So, so I, what would I be your target? Be to be the largest believe, party? To have more than 50 seats? Because in the last election I asked you and you said over 40 would be a fantastic result. What would you consider a fantastic result next time? Well, I'm not going to get into numbers at this early stage, Ivan. Uh, clearly, I don't think... The, we, we gained about... Um, well, we gained 24 seats. We have an additional seat, of course, Stephen Donnelly, uh, which I think his recruitment to the party illustrates the broadening out of the party's uh, profile and the degree to which people are finding Fianna Fáil more attractive to join now. And, um, and we have more young people coming forward as well who want to contest and who want the future in, in, in public life through Fianna Fáil. So I, I, we gained 24 uh, seats the last time. I, it'll be very difficult to uh, repeat that type of performance or scale of performance. But we do want to see incremental growth. I think you're correct in identifying the Dunleary's and the Dublin constituencies where we don't have seats, it's a target to gain an extra seat in every one of those. That will be challenging, particularly in the three-seaters. Okay. Uh, you know, in Dublin Central, you know, Mary Fitzpatrick um, and others, others, you know, Catherine Arda, uh, again, um, lost by very narrow uh, vote last time out, Paul McAuliffe. So, yes, we will be challenging Northwest and all of those constituencies in Dublin. All and right. then, yeah, you're correct also in identifying... 
you know, the front benchers are aware of this, that they have obligations and responsibilities as well to Quotas bring in quarters. a second seat. Okay. In, in, to bring in second seats. Okay. Um, well, let's say, let's say. Where, where, where we are within distance. Um, but I think the fundamental point for us, there has to be policy and issues because you okay. and me are having this uh, discussion about seats and all of that. But the public really aren't, um, well, well, I know, aren't engaged you. in that. They're more engaged in uh, the substance of what we should be about okay. in, in Doyle Air and but, but, the issues but and the policy. As, as we know, that for, for, for any government to operate, uh, particularly after new products, it has to have a majority. So let's go with the yeah. scenario that you do really well and you get within touching distance of, of 60 seats. It's 20 short of a majority. And obviously, as the largest party, there'll be a special responsibility on you in those circumstances to form a government. Uh, take a listen to uh, Bertie Ahern, um, who we asked him last week, what was his sense, your former leader, uh, in terms of coalition options, and particularly, firstly, a grand coalition with Fine Gael, and secondly, a Sinn Féin, Fianna Fáil coalition? I think the best way of doing that is probably take about six or seven major points where the parties would agree on. And that wouldn't be too difficult to do. But would they both be ministers? They have ministers in a coalition. Oh, I, I, I think ultimately that's the way it's going to go. I mean, I, I don't believe in the long term, you know, that the Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, you know, bitter enemies of the past will, okay. will continue. Um, from what I gauged from all of my, my Fianna Fáil friends, there's no feeling about going with, with Sinn Féin, whatever. I think more of them would look for a deal of stability with Fine Gael. Even if, if Mary Lou is leader? In. Well, that, that could change the game, but I mean, that's... that's um, I, don't, I don't think that can just happen where she, Mary Lou comes in and then all of a sudden it changes. I think she would have to be in there for a period. Now, Michal, you said in Bowdenstown that uh, a co- you ruled out a coalition with Sinn Féin, uh, saying that they were unfit for government. Uh, will that be your view in perpetuity? Well... It certainly will be my view uh, in, in in terms of the next general election. Could I just put it into the, the, the point that I can recall before the last general election, Ivan, you and me having these discussions uh, and having the similar discussions with many other commentators. And I think there's a general acceptance in, in some of the research into the last general election that we all spent far too much time on the process, uh, on uh, numbers, uh, who's in and who's out, and not enough time during that election campaign on the substance, on the policies, on what are you going to do uh, in the next Doyle or in the next government. And I do have to enter that caveat that, that, that there is, in my and, and, and much of the commentary was, was wrong. It got, the, it got the predictions all I wrong. I couldn't disagree with uh, you more. Much, much well, of the commentary I mean, I mean, was right insofar as if you don't have a majority government, it's inherently indecisive uh, and unstable leading to un- uncertainty. And therefore, there'll be a special responsibility on you in the next election campaign to clarify whether you would go into a grand coalition as Taoiseach uh, with Fine Gael. But there's two points there. First of all, the largest majority uh, that the state ever had um, in terms of, for example, the housing crisis uh, oversaw, failed to anticipate, failed to plan strategically for the shocking housing crisis that we had today. And Brother Kevin Crowley of the Caption Day Centre is again articulating today in interviews uh, you know, how this problem has got much worse. I visited uh, Brother Kevin uh, some weeks ago. You know, He was feeding 4,500 children in 2013 from emergency accommodation. He's now feeding up to 8,700 or 8,400. Uh, so those are, 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 are and that, all that happened under the watch of a government with the largest majority in the history of the state. Uh, likewise, in terms of the health services, I mean, we had waiting lists down 
to below six months for adults and three months for children in the vast majority of, of, of categories, uh, Ivan. Yet the government with the largest majority in the state, uh, the situation became progressively worse through getting rid of the treatment purchase fund through a health policy that they had no blueprint for but kept working on for four or five years and eventually abandoned it just before the last general election. No, but there's a net so point. No, 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 there's there really net is point, an net, important net but point. But if I can make the this? point, good government doesn't necessarily correlate with strong majority government. You've been making that assertion and I would question it. That's, I'd say no more than that. Okay, well, the, equally, the, the, equally, I'd make this other point in terms of your grand coalition, which I know you're committed to and you've pursued. In, across Europe, the idea of a number of centre parties and different um, you know, uh, do- uh, parliaments is, is, is normal. In my view, weakening the centre ground, as we would have done, irreparably in my view, if we had gone into a grand coalition after the last election, would have been ultimately detrimental to Ireland's economic interests and to sustainability. Because it would have given an open field uh, to the hard left, uh, to Sinn Féin and others, whose economic model, in my view, uh, would have uh, made things far worse. So, for example... They oppose a free trade agreement with Canada. Uh, many of them oppose our industrial but, but policy we, that we we've all, had. You're not answering my question. The next well, point actually, is this. The next point is, is uh, if Fianna Fáil are the largest party in the next door, are, are, so are the country not entitled to a majority I, government? Whatever that I is, am. a majority coalition government. Can I put it to you? You didn't let, let me finish a key point. What has been the sustainable thing over 40 years in this country? Solid policies around industrial policy which brought in multinationals which allowed enterprise to develop we can do better and all of that but the bottom line is you would have given greater traction to those who want to tear all that down that's my point and that's an important point that in other words I'm more medium and long term in terms of government policy I'm not into short termism Uh, and as far as the next election is concerned let's give the people some say in this uh, and we're entitled, as any other political party is, um, to, to gain as, uh, you know, as much support we can based on our policies and our ideas um, as is any other party. And I think we should be wary of making predictions in advance of an election uh, in a very definitive way. I, every studio I went into before the last general election, uh, every co- just hear me out say, every commentator kept on saying, you must be the minority proper up of Fine Gael. Which was almost no. As no I'm say, saying the role reversal. No, people, should they should no, they prop you no, up then? But the, my point is, the commentators are wrong. They underestimated how well Fianna Fáil would do. Likewise, you need to be a bit more circumspect you, and you, at least you, a, you, a bit you, more cautious in predicting how the next election will turn out. No, I think what we do have responsibility to do, and we're prepared to do it now, uh, is to support the implementation and execution of policies that's good for the country. And whatever uh, unfolds after the next election, uh, we will do that. All right. Uh, I think it's early days yet to try and predict it. I, I, I genuinely believe that. You're listening to News Talk. This is Yates on Sunday. We're talking to the leader of the opposition, Micheál Martin, who's in our studio in Opera House in Cork City. Let's look at the intray of the next government, whatever hue it may be. Will you appoint a minister for Brexit? And how far would you go in direct Dublin-London talks, for example, using the British-Irish Council as a vehicle to produce working papers on Brexit issues of administration, of cross-border, of common travel. What what would your approach be to bilateral UK-Ireland Brexit preparations? Well, first of all, I I would appoint a minister um, uh, for for, for Brexit. Uh, We have already appointed Stephen Donnelly as our front bench Brexit spokesperson. Uh, And I do think there's a need to pull it all uh, together and to have 
a, a person who has exclusive focus on that, obviously with the Taoiseach um, of the day. I think the British-Irish axis is extremely important, but we are members of the European 27, and in terms of Brexit, we will be negotiating that as, 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 as members of the European Union. But I do believe there's room and space for bilateral negotiations with Britain in terms of the future relationship between the UK and Ireland in a post-Brexit world. Uh, for example, what we tend to forget is that one of the great benefits of EU membership uh, was that Irish officials, Irish politicians became much more familiar and friendly with British politicians because of membership of the European Union, meeting each other every second week at uh, European Council of Ministers meetings or officials meeting each other very, very regularly. And we became well, you know, very familiar and friends on first name terms. We're going to lose that now potentially in, in, in a post-Brexit uh, Europe because they will not be there at those particular meetings. So we do need some institutional structure between Britain and Ireland. You've mentioned the British-Irish Council. That may be one mechanism. I think that would perhaps have to be expanded. Or we have suggested already the idea of a Nordic Council um, whereby you would have proper structural uh, an institution established, there would be regular meetings on a whole range of issues that are of, of importance in terms of the British-Irish relationship. Uh, and, you know, the common travel area, uh, we've made the point that we one of our concerns in terms of the negotiating guidelines is Europe is saying, you know, we can do all of that once it's in conformity with European Union law. Uh, and I've put it to the Taoiseach that he needs to examine is that a potential restriction in terms of what the meat of a common of, of, of the common travel area represents, you know this seamless interaction that we've had uh, for decades in terms of social welfare entitlements, in terms of education access, uh, in terms of employment access. So the devil is in the detail here in relation to Brexit, uh, and we we have to obviously take soundings and engage w- with Britain in terms of their ideas and their plans for that, but also how Ireland. Um, Will, will, will be in a position within the context of EU law. It may, like for example, it may need a change of EU law to accommodate the common travel area. Okay. We don't know that for definite yet. Okay, but, but as you may, see... As and you other see, areas as well. As you see, I, I it Brexit, I think Brexit is the most dangerous. And I, I, I'm very worried about Brexit. I think it's a once-in-generation change to our economic model. We should, have, we should have a fundamental review of industrial policy now in the light of Brexit and the light of the Trump uh, position on tax and, and, and Europe's view on CCTB. But put that to one side, I agree with those who say that Brexit is about damage limitation for Ireland. Uh, the, the regions in particular, the agri-food industry, tourism, all could lose out very substantially if there's a hard Brexit. And what we've witnessed in the last two weeks, in my view, is very, very worrying. The, the leak of the famous dinner between uh, May and Juncker, uh, I think, was juvenile. It was, it was uh, very dangerous. Do you think Juncker's a loose cannon? I think there's elements within that uh, operation that seem to be a loose cannon. I can't for the life of me understand how anybody who leaked that uh, could could then s- s- uh, suggest that there will be you know, a positive engagement between the UK and the EU based on trust. Trust is the key issue in any negotiations. Okay. And at the very start, when that trust is breached in such a, uh, in my way, brazen way, uh, then I think that augurs badly. And I think obviously we should allow space now and allow the British general election to happen. Uh, I anticipate a conservative victory. Uh, And then I think the British Prime Minister may have more space and may have more room um, to deal more realistically than the British have to date with the Brexit question. I mean, they don't have to pull out of the customs union, for example. And those who voted for leave didn't vote for the type of um, broad-based 
uh, hardline Brexit that now seems to be the order of, of the day within elements of the Tory party. Which brings us to Northern Ireland. <coughs> um, do you think uh, Sinn Féin really don't want the power-sharing executive to work? We've seen their, her, their difficulties with Arlene Foster, who uh, you know, tried to put out some olive branches in terms of Irish schools and so on during the week. Uh, do, what do you think Sinn Féin are at in Northern Ireland? Uh, my own view is that Sinn Féin <coughs> deliberately engineered the collapse of the executive. <clears throat> they knew all about the renewable heat, renewable heat initiative for six to nine months. It's instructive that about a month uh, before the collapse of the executive, both the First Minister's office and Deputy First Minister's office and Sinn Féin and DUP essentially appointed a common spin doctor um, to tell because they said they had a great story to tell within a month the executive was collapsed. And I think Sinn Féin has changed strategy because of Brexit and it wants to force through the unity agenda <coughs> um, on, a, on, a, on a kind of territorial numbers basis as opposed to reaching genuine consensus with unionism within the North. The, the, the real tra- tragedy of that, of course, is that the executive and the assembly provides an opportunity for Northern Ireland to develop a coherent voice around the Brexit debate. In other words, I, I've been in Northern Ireland, I've addressed uh, large audiences there in terms of Brexit, uh, particularly in the Queen, Queens. Uh, the degree of anxiety there about Brexit is palpable, even for those who, may, who voted for Brexit. And I think the Arlene Foster uh, article in the Irish News last week is particularly significant. Uh, she instances the letter that she jointly wrote with the late Martin McGuinness um, on, on Brexit, uh, the fact that she, she, she gets the cross-border situation being a resident in the border area herself, the seamless interaction north and south on trade and economy uh, and, and movement of people. Uh, so notwithstanding that the DUP uh, voted for Brexit, one gets a strong sense in that article that Arlene Foster really wants a soft border. Now, the North-South Ministerial Council, which is part of the architecture of, of the Good Friday Agreement and the Northern Executive, provides the ideal vehicle for common sense and coherence and a consensus position to emerge within Northern Ireland and between the Northern Ireland political parties on Brexit so that they can go to the British government in particular uh, and indeed to the Irish government um, on a common agenda, uh, practical stuff based on bread and butter issues that affect Ulster, Northern Ireland farmers, um, that affect Northern Ireland uh, trade, tourism, uh, economy, foreign direct okay. investment. And, and, and like we've called for special status, we've called for a zone within the island uh, on trade. Uh, obviously, that language isn't the kind of language that the British will use or indeed unionism may use. Right. But the key point is the substance of whatever emerges has to, be, has to reflect the uniqueness of the all-island issue, the uniqueness of, of, of the relationship between Britain and Ireland, and also has to reflect the fact, and it does now in the, in the guidelines, we've been pushing this, in the, in the directive, sorry, that are emerging <coughs> uh, out of the guidelines, that essentially the EU citizen rights of residents in Northern Ireland have to be reflected in any okay. uh, British exit I want to move on. From, from, from the European Union. I want to move on to the repeal of the Eighth Amendment. The uh, recommendations are there from the Citizens' Assembly. Um, do you uh, oppose those recommendations? And would you, in the context of a free vote, um, vote in favour of repealing the Eighth Amendment? Yeah, we will, we will have a free vote within, in, within the party. I think the, the work of the uh, Citizens' Assembly uh, is, is significant. 
will form, par- obviously, part of the work of the Oireachtas Committee now. We've appointed five people to that. Um, we haven't yet got a report from, the, we haven't got the formal kind of comprehensive report from the Citizens' Assembly yet. There was a series of votes on specific issues. Uh, I, I, I do believe that the people have a right to make a decision on this and the issue has to go um, to the people. The question then is, uh, what, how, in what format and what will be the substance of the proposition that's put to the people? And that is the work that the Oireachtas Committee uh, has to grapple with. Do you repeal the eighth in its entirety uh, and leave it and leave things as they are? Do you, do you repeal it and replace it with legislation? What regime would, do, does do, Michael Martin do, favour? Do you amend it? Uh, and in, in you know, in my view, that's that's the challenge facing the Oireachtas Committee. Uh, I will approach this. But you're the leader. Um, what direction are you like? If I give you a blank sheet of paper, what regime? But, uh, fatal fetal abnormalities. What regime would you favour? Well, I think obviously, in, in terms of this issue, when, when we say that an individual, it's an individual conscience issue, it is. We don't believe anymore in opposing a party whip on an issue as profound, and it's a profound moral question. Uh, I've come from this uh, from a pro-life background. Uh, always have I, my own views are that, you know, in the world of obstetrics and paediatrics, you know, and from my observations, uh, in this country, people want to bring, uh, make sure that babies are born healthy and protect the life and the health of the mother. And that's always been the objective of of obstetrics in this country. And that relationship between the obstetrician and the mother is an extremely important one. Uh, And likewise, there's been incredible advances in terms of children. But you see, here's here's the rub me, no, here's the rub me on all these issues, on all these issues we've discussed. People say Michal Martin's a lovely guy, but he couldn't make a decision to save his life. That you know, you set up all these consultants' reports from your Minister for Health on so many issues. I have asked you to give leadership and say this is the direction I want to pull the country in as the potentially the next Taoiseach after the election. And 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 you're really hedging your bets on all of these things. You're obfuscating. I voted for the Protection of Life and Human Pregnancy Act. Um, a minority in my, I was within a minority within our party on that occasion in 2013. This was reflecting the X case uh, into legislation. Uh, I did it because it was the right thing to do, and and it was it was in a you know it was a sensible thing to do in my view, and the only option facing us uh, on that occasion. So I, I took a decision on that, and I will take a decision on this. But at the moment, uh, I think it's fair to say that it's important that we await the outcome of the deliberations of the committee and the precise format. Uh, that the proposition that, that will be put before the people. Um, and it is one um, that, and I've been involved in it before, in different referenda before. So from from my perspective, it, it is hugely sensitive. I'm coming at it from a particular uh, perspective. In the past, by the way, I disagree with you in terms of health and all that, but we won't go into that now because we took very decisive decisions in health, not least the first uh, tobacco ban. In, the smoking in, in, in ban. The I've heard of that so well, many well, times. Well, 100 more, <laughs> cardiovascular health. We transformed okay, heart Okay, I have two final quick... We're out of time. all of that, but anyway. I have two final quick yes or no questions. Could you see circumstance whereby Bertie Ahern would rejoin the party? We spoke to him last week. He's very anxious to rejoin. Do you think that's a possibility, yes or no? I don't think that's on the uh, on the agenda. I think the, the, the uh, and I think he's in fairness. I listened to the interview. And I think he's made some very good points publicly on a whole range of issues. His interventions are particularly on the north last week. That you had some of that there in, in his interview in terms of Europe and Brexit. He's making a contribution. Uh, issues came out of the Mahan Tribunal. We dealt with them then. I don't see that uh, returning or, or on the agenda. And the final question: Your foreign affairs spokesperson Dara O'Brien uh, trenchantly called for 
the revelation of how the Irish government voted the UN relation to the Saudi Arabian uh, nominee to the Women's Commission. Do you support that? Do you think Charlie Flanagan should switch on this and reveal it? I think times have moved on. Um, there, there are issues there. I understand the conventions within the United Nations, but I think most people were taken by surprise uh, at the prospect of Ireland voting for Saudi Arabia uh, on on the uh, commission on, on the commission the UN commission in relation to women's rights, uh, and I think given the public concern and the need for transparency in that specific issue, I think he should indicate uh, the manner in which Ireland voted on that. Michal Martin, leader of the opposition, thank you for joining us on Yates on Sunday. Thank you very much indeed, Ivan. Yates on Sunday on News Talk. Brought to you by SSE Airtricity Business Energy. Proud to power businesses all over Ireland. Energy at work for you.